0: Our society's hunger for real-time information and mobile accessible services has had a profound effect on banking and finance. Because just as customers have grown used to watching their favorite shows everywhere from crowded trains to remote beaches, they've come to expect that same anytime, anywhere access to their monetary products too. And with plenty of fintech startups providing a host of round-the-clock, mobile-accessible financial services, it's all too easy for tech-savvy customers to take their business elsewhere when their current institution falls short.
1: Many wealth advisors are burdened with legacy operations and legacy technology that do not allow them to move as nimbly as their customers are asking them to operate. They're being disrupted by fintech providers that can give a customer a much more self-service experience in a a very consumable, small fashion.
0: And it's not just the customer-facing technology that's impacting the success of wealth management organizations. Because the equally outdated middle and back office systems are affecting customers, too. From a wealth management
2: perspective, any second you're not spending with a client is, you know, essentially a waste of your time. So the question becomes, how do you get that low value work off the advisors plate, so they can spend more of their time either with business development or helping drive outcomes for their clients.
0: This is Financial Futures, the podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation. And in this series, we're examining a new generation of intelligent tools that are set to transform key monetary products and services, making them fit for modern financial institutions and their customers. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. And in today's show, we'll be exploring wealth as a service and how this new model could help to democratize wealth management. We'll find out how Wealth-as-a-Service is bringing wealth management into the future of financial services and discover how institutions can adopt this as-a-service model. We'll also ask how Wealth-as-a-Service is providing better value to clients and managers alike, and we'll hear our experts' words of advice for institutions looking to adopt this model. Joining us on today's show are Head of Wealth Management at FIS Global, Luke McCabe, and Head of Wealth Management Consulting at NTT Data, Eric Biddle. But before we explore the ins and outs of the wealth as a service model, let's first find out what the traditional wealth management landscape looked like prior to the tech upgrade.
1: There's a lot uh, in flux at the moment in the marketplace, a pretty mature, historically pretty mature business model changing pretty rapidly through the introduction of new fintech players, but also the customer base that wealth managers are servicing is changing pretty dramatically. If you think about it now, there's an estimated four to five different generations of people who need to consume wealth services, each of whom is putting a different level of pressure onto the wealth manager based upon their needs, desires, and the model in which they want to engage with the wealth manager. Really a unique problem for our customers to have to solve.
2: Just to, to piggyback from what Luke was saying, the other thing too is customers want more. <laughs> they want it for less, and they want personalization. Products are getting more complex. Financial needs are getting more complex. And so as the market continues to mature, more products become available. Clients are looking for that to become cheaper and more personalized.
0: I didn't make the connection that there are four or five different generations that are needing these services now. Was it something that was really just particular to one or two generations in the past? You know, people who who had some money or needed some advice. And now it seems like a lot of people of different Ages and walks of life are needing these services. Would you say that's true?
1: Yeah, I think technology, right, has opened that up the scope of services to the potential to a, a much broader potential set of customers at different points on a life journey. Are they accumulating wealth? Or are they in a de accumulation phase? And technology has made that available. And to, to Eric's point, I think even coming out of the pandemic, what people have really embraced is technology and this level of hyper-personalization that you can experience via technology, right? The Netflix style of experience. And a lot of people learned that through the pandemic and now have expected much more of a level of engagement with their providers that is much more tailored
0: and we are seeing that across the board you know i'm seeing it in in health services and it does seem to be a thing of the times a post pandemic approach with so much access through technology so with this demand for real time view of portfolios and mobile support and the hyper personalization what are the challenges that wealth advisors are facing with this as they're as they're growing into this new phase
1: many wealth advisors are burdened with legacy operations and legacy technology that do not allow them to move as nimbly as their customers are asking them to operate. And they're being disrupted by FinTech providers that can give a customer a much more self-service experience in a very consumable, small fashion. So that could be access to alternative investment product. Or it could be goals-based financial planning. And so that risk of more people doing it themselves certainly is a challenge.
2: And just to add to that, from a wealth management perspective, any second you're not spending with a client is you know, essentially a waste of your time as a wealth manager or as a financial advisor. So the question becomes, how do you get that low-value work off the advisor's plate? so they can spend more of their time either with business development or helping drive outcomes for their clients.
1: Yeah, I agree I agree again with Eric 100%. Wealth managers suffered the same challenges uh, through the great resignation as well, right? So they have a knowledge gap and a talent gap in their shop. And as they think about how then do they service their customers, there's really a focus on rationalization of what are we good at What drives value for the firm and what are commoditized products, operational aspects, technology that are a distraction for us, a must do as opposed to a value added activity. So there's a lot of challenges that our customers are are working through at the moment.
0: So you're talking about they're burdened with legacy technology, they're being disrupted, there's a knowledge gap, a talent gap. I also noticed that this was one of our talking points was relevancy. Can either or both of you speak to that point a little bit?
1: From my perspective, that, that goes a little bit back to the notion of how are they driving value right? And versus this notion of self-service, and I can do it myself, and certainly we've seen the challenge for the, that our wealth managers are facing with their customers, they are expecting a much more bespoke level of performance. And performance isn't just relative to a benchmark now. It's about impact. So am I willing to trade a handful of points of return to make an impact in an area that's important for me? And for a wealth manager to be able to engage with a customer to help them, that's where they can become relevant. And, and, and helping them quantify that that impact that they're making in their communities on a broader global basis.
2: And I, I just think that our society and the attention economy we live in now, in big tech, you know, it, it's all about me, me, me now. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's just evolved into the wealth management space as well. It used to be you signed up, you know, you sat in the office of a wealth advisor, you filled out a bunch of paperwork, you did suitability reviews, et cetera, and you got your money moved in, and then it was set it and forget it. And generally, unless the market was crashing, you never called your wealth management advisor. I think the the expectations have changed, um, as well as big tech changing, expectations are changing in the clients uh, in the wealth space as well.
0: Wealth managers now find themselves inundated with challenges. Their customers expect bigger impacts from their investments, and they want to be more involved in fund management, demanding more face time with their advisors. And the very systems and tools wealth managers utilize to manage client wealth are quickly falling short of expectations, thanks to the emergence of more nimble self-service offerings from competing fintechs. So what is the answer to these unrelenting hurdles? It might just be wealth as a service.
1: Wealth as a service, what do we mean by that, first and foremost? From an FIS perspective, wealth as a service is a tool that we partner with our wealth managers to take non-core functions off of their plate and allow them to really focus on the customer. Customer retention, cross-sell, and new customer acquisition. So Wealth as a Service really is about identifying commoditized operational functions or services inside of the shop, if you will, and moving them to a third party that can Process at scale and drive down operational cost, reduce risk of delivery, and provide long-term scale. And ultimately, we're moving our customers from a fixed cost operating model to a variable cost operating model. That allows them then to match revenues and expense better and have more predictability that's what ultimately then creates flexibility for the firm to go tackle talent focused on customers and tools that drive growth for them
2: and i would add that there's really three primary drivers where we see our clients making decisions on their wealth platform the first is capabilities you know a lot of these platforms just they're not keeping up with the capabilities needed to meet the demand of customers and some clients are just looking to make a change just to modernize their platform. The second is growth. How do we scale this up? How do we get more clients on the platform or in the in the wealth space? And then the third is cost. Where do we differentiate? How do we differentiate And what can we get rid of that's more of a commodity function? How can we take our attention and and our resources and focus on providing that that client service that customers expect? One of the other things that I think is really important in the wealth-as-a-service space is interoperability between your own proprietary platforms and the integration of the things that you're really good at or the things you want to manage yourself, whether it's portfolio construction, analysis, those types of things, commission processing, whatever it might be, and, and how do you interoperate with a third-party platform with your own proprietary platforms? So as those challenges are solved, wealth as a service is becoming more and more viable for many of our clients.
0: It sounds like there's just so many factors that that play into this. How complex is this to, to start transitioning into working with a third party and using wealth as a service?
2: What I've generally seen is that the real challenge is how do you get your organization ready for it? Even if you're outsourcing a lot of the back office and middle office functions, there's still systems differences, interface differences, procedural differences, process differences, how you reconcile, how you move money. So getting the organization ready to change their ecosystem to adopt this new wealth as a service platform and really understand more from a human interoperability, how do you get your organization ready to adopt this new platform, this new way of doing
0: business? So how does FIS help enable wealth as a service? It sounds like that's where you guys can really do so much help in some of the heavy lifting to help these organizations grow into this new generation.
1: I think it's so important at the outset of a journey that our, our customers and clients understand why they're embarking on the, the journey, which is a transformation first and foremost, and then the organizational change management around this notion of how do we ensure that the team adopts the attitude of we get to go through this transformational journey as opposed to we have to go through this transformational journey, right? Really from the outset is a really important step in ensuring success. Our team really focuses on the customer, first and foremost, on understanding the today of what what is and then helping guide our customers through the transformational journey of what is possible when you adopt a new technology the biggest mistake that a customer can can make is to retrofit old processes and and procedures onto this new technology and really not transform so i think that that's really an important part of the journey all of that work up front to understand where are we going collectively together is a, a very important part of what we're trying to do in enabling, at the end of the day, this operational shift, fine, to Eric's point, whether that's the technology simply being hosted or it's a component of our operations, uh, the customer's operations being shifted. But that's just step one in this journey, which is to say, okay, now we've made this first step. What's possible? What it really... in And and enabling this adoption through an open ecosystem and leveraging APIs to bring in all of this suite of services now that maximizes our potential for growth.
2: The other uh, thing I would just add is when it comes to growth, I think one of the opportunities in the wealth as a service space is really to get more creative around pricing and be able to support different pricing models. There's such an untapped wealth market. So many people either don't have a lot to invest or, or they don't have enough aggregated together to make it economically viable for a wealth uh, firm or a wealth advisor to take on. So being able to get creative and have a platform be able to support more creative pricing models on the commission side, being able to have subscription-based pricing, fee-for-service pricing, asset-based fees, which is pretty typical. Advertising revenue offsets, right? Well, what if you logged into the system and and you got exposed to advertising? For example, and your subscription fee was the other component to make that economically viable for a wealth firm. So I think getting more creative around pricing is going to be important to be able to grow, number one, but also most folks don't have super, super sophisticated wealth management needs. How do we get a larger segment of the population access to this or democratize wealth management such that more? people in, in the country, in the world for that matter, can get access to good advice, but it's done in a super cost-effective, technical way where you don't necessarily have to talk to a person. And if you want to talk to a person, maybe there's a $25 fee. You know, you do it once a year just checking in or whatever. So, I, I think from a growth perspective, we have to look down market. We have to democratize wealth. We need platforms that can be able to support multiple methods of revenue generation.
0: I love that you talked about there's so many people out there that can use advice and more and more people are seeking advice, even though it may not be super complicated needs. And I was curious, how does Wealth as a Service help sort of this hybrid model of when you need the wealth manager and what you can do on your own? How can those two work together to further the end use of Wealth as a Service?
1: A well-laid technology foundation and operational foundation, and I think that's what Wealth of a Service provides, is the ability to scale and flex in multiple dimensions on a variable cost basis, right? It gives you pricing flexibility. So that, that pricing flexibility allows you to operate in different market segments. But the technology foundation, if it's robust enough, allows you to adopt a broad set of different tools to service different market segments, right? but have back-end processing scale. So low-touch, self-service, robo-esque-like engagement models still need a route to market for a trade to be processed. That plumbing still has to get done, it still has to be reconciled and settled, and money needs to move, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's no different if I'm managing a separately managed account portfolio for someone with several hundred million dollars to invest, who starts to behave more like an institutional investor. So to, I think wealth as a service, that back end is where it gets normalized and you reduce your cost of delivery to the market. At some point in time, sort of the notion of a trade's a trade's a trade. It doesn't really matter, right? Right. So I think that that's the value, and the operational engine provides that scale. The technology needs to allow you to open up your ecosystem to be able to service those different market segments in a fashion that meets your strategy and then gets normalized on the back end. I think that's, from my perspective, the value, and a lot of our customers would be in a box. If they were doing this themselves in-house, they wouldn't have the infrastructure, they they pick a segment or two, as opposed to multiple segments to operate in at different price points and different profitability levels.
0: So what I'm hearing is that the wealth as a service is a much more holistic approach.
1: Yeah, I think it's a foundation, right? That allows our customers to build a house and those houses can have different rooms that are meant for different purposes or different customer segments, if you will, right? And the foundation needs to be able to be robust and thoughtful and future-proof.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the framework, right? And so if you think about this from a wealth service provider's perspective, if they want to go up market or if they want to include more custom type of, of capabilities and components, Traditionally, they'd have to build those themselves, or they'd have to work with a third-party vendor to get those built. If you have Wealth as a Service and a platform that already has these capabilities, it's more of a configuration exercise than it is a build exercise in your own proprietary shop.
0: Wealth as a Service is providing a number of benefits for both wealth managers and their clients. The as-a-service model enables greater pricing flexibility, allowing wealth managers to cater to investors of varying size, meaning more clients on the books. And it allows them to pick and choose the segments they want to serve and the tools they want to offer without having to build new products each time, making their operations scalable and limitlessly flexible. But while these benefits sound great in theoretical terms, does the reality of adopting wealth as a service live up to expectations?
1: We've had a very large customer, several hundred billion in assets that's gone on this journey of transformation, but we've had many, many customers that, that you know have hundreds of millions of dollars that have made the same decision for different reasons. And in the largest end of the market, the customer is doing exactly what we just talked about, building this foundation that allows them to operate on a future-proof basis. So first and foremost, move from a fixed-cost delivery model. My infrastructure, I'm running in-house. a My operational people, I have to maintain them. The market goes down 20%. I still have my technology, and I still have my people, right? And so I have an uncorrelated risk. In our model, when you move to an outsourcing model, typically it's going to be variable. So first and foremost, why they do it, they match their asset liability a little bit better, more predictability, and better understanding of future cost of growth when they add cost of business acquisition. But that's not the only reason to do it. What um, this particular firm did is looked at it and said, this is an accelerant for growth. We are now have the ability to operate in multiple geographies. We've never been able to do that before. We can service multiple asset classes and bring a totally different set of products to our most sophisticated and largest institutional investors. But beyond that, this open API architecture allows them to, again, future-proof because they can very nimbly integrate Third-party solutions, if if there's not a product from us that meets their needs, very quickly to adopt their strategic initiative in a given market segment and really turn that into a, a pretty dynamic growth accelerant for them.
0: And how did you help facilitate these integrations? What steps were taken or what was the process like?
1: Well, the process really goes back to what we just talked about at the outset. It's really understanding the engagement, deep understanding of what are the organizational goals and objectives we're trying to do. What is the current state? And then what is the opportunity to transform and work very closely with the customer to ensure that they they went through this transformational engagement? In fact, one of the best things about the the engagement and the leadership from from the client standpoint is the leadership team adopted this notion of no customization, right? And the fact of the matter is there was customization, but the notion going in was to challenge why is it custom because that customization is creating barriers to scale and growth, right? We need to transform our business process models where we can To go go back to being infinitely scalable. So the firm was really, really good in their leadership team about this notion of uh, standardize, drive transformation, and then optimize, leverage the tools that are available for optimization workflow, data analytics tools, predictive analytics tools to help us do our business better.
0: Bottom line, are they happier wealth managers? (laughs)
1: 2022 was a tough market for everybody. But uh, I think uh, their ability to drive their strategy now and their their aspirations and, and not to feel the barrier of legacy tech, legacy operations as a growth barrier and a strategic plan barrier is a great unburdening of the business leadership, honestly.
2: I totally agree with Luke. And so I think the key to the future of Wealth as a Service is having that interoperability. You know, there there are some clients that just want a full service, you know, fully packaged solution that kind of stands off on its own. There are more complex or custom clients um, that are looking for more of an a la carte type of approach. And so being able to have a loosely coupled Interoperable environment through APIs and other technology that allow you to essentially build the best of both worlds—the things you're really good at—while outsourcing or at least the record-keeping components, the platform components of it. You know, having somebody else worry about more of those commoditized things. So that's piece one. The piece two is—you know—the big thing that we're hearing from our clients is they're on these older platforms. They know they need to transform, but there's a ton of risk concern. They're trying to figure out, do we, do we upgrade the current platform we're on? If we're going to go through that exercise, do we swap platforms? And if we go that route, you know, do we just make the full jump to wealth as a service? And then if you make that decision, now you have to figure out, do you want just the wealth platform outsourced? Do you want business process outsourcing as well? So really helping clients understand all of their options and based on their unique needs. Again, the KPIs they're trying to move uh, as well as affordability and risk considerations, what's what's the best option for them, and then actually helping them execute against that.
0: Are there any last words of advice or encouragement that either of you would offer to someone listening to this right now who is thinking about adopting Wealth as a Service?
1: I think there's a question of, once you make this decision of, do we need to act, The question is, can we organizationally then commit to acting, right? So there's two different things. Like we need to do it. And then once you start on that journey, get to have to, you've got to commit to it because you see the long-term value of execution of your strategic plan. Honestly, it's been an incredibly transformational period in wealth management. The adoption of this particular model has grown significantly over the last four or five years as a route to success in the future. And I think most clients, when they look back on the decision to adopt wealth as a service, will say 100% success in terms of allowing us to focus on our customers and the growth of our business and allowing us to recruit the talent that makes an impact for the benefit of the customers and the business, right? So from my perspective, really important tool in the um, in the arsenal available for wealth managers to f- future-proof their business.
0: Hey, Eric, I'll give you the last word or words.
2: Yeah, I mean, focus on what you're good at, right? And the stuff that somebody's better at and they can do it cheaper, faster, better, you know, that's focus on what you're good at.
0: Luke McCabe is head of wealth management at FIS Global and Eric Biddle is head of wealth management consulting at NTT Data. That's it for today's show. We'll see you next time for our season finale when we'll be finding out how banks are enhancing customer experience and augmenting their own working practices with digital implementation.